The advance of global heating is inexorable. It's unrelenting. And yet, humanity, that's you and I and others, just don't seem to get it. And the fact that humanity faces what appears to be an existential threat just seems to wash over most people. The world is at 1.2 degrees or thereabouts above pre-industrial temperatures. And many are saying that by the end of this century, it'll be at least 1.5, maybe 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. The world is struggling with 1.2 degrees. And with 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures, or even 2 degrees, and possibly 2.5 by the end of this century, we're in desperate trouble. And life will become near impossible. Welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. It's so great to have you on board. And I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Human effort and planning, combined with misplaced bravery, endeavour, and huge effort brought global heating upon us, set the world upon a journey that can only end in tragedy unless we actually do something right now. And to do something right now means we should end the use of energy, or not end it, but we should slow it dramatically. We should use less energy that comes from fossil fuels. Can we do that? Of course we can. Wind, solar and hydro will give us all the energy we need to run the world. Yes, we just need to be courageous and bold. We need the the courage to step away from fossil fuels and embrace wind, solar and hydro and a few other sources and make the world a better place. We need courage, endeavour, commitment and boldness. In all this, it's important to note that those few other sources do not include nuclear. And just today, and today is Monday, January 30, we heard from the ABC TV News a report by Michael Gross from the CSIRO Climate Science Centre. Here is what he said on the ABC TV. The CSIRO has some sobering news. Communities will increasingly have to transition between battling floods to fires in a so-called climate whiplash effect as incidents of extreme weather increase. I'm joined now by Michael Gross from the CSIRO. Michael, uh, thanks for being with us. So how often are we seeing evidence of climate whiplash in Australia now? Great to be with you. So Australia has a very variable climate with many extremes. And as wise people on the land say, there's no such thing as an average year. But a warming and changing climate is changing our odds and stacking the deck for some extremes to become more likely or more severe than they would have been in a world with no climate change. And as we see an increase in some types of extremes, such as flash floods, extreme fire weather, marine heat waves and others, all else being equal, then we'll see more extremes overall and we'll flip between them more often. It can feel like a little bit of a whiplash for those of us on the ground. This may already be happening in some respects and in some places, especially if you look at the global scale. With many extreme events over the last three years, there's some extreme heat waves, droughts, floods, and there's some pretty strong examples in Australia too, such as the Black Summer fires and then floods. It doesn't mean that every every year will be an extreme event or every year will be an extreme change between extremes, but just the odds are changing. And so what we'll experience on the ground is a bit more like a whiplash between extremes. So what are going to be the main challenges of that then, of going quickly between floods and fires? 
So managing our extreme uh, uh, events means managing uh, people, resources, uh, infrastructure and more, and also agriculture as well. There's challenges across all of those things. Um, and especially when there's uh, a, what we call compound extremes, when I say a large heat wave and dry period culminates in some extreme fire weather and some, some bad bushfires. And then after that, if we happen to have things like you know, uh, heavy rainfall can lead to things like uh, uh, erosion and landslides. Uh, so that means just um, more impacts than if any one of those things came along uh, just on its own. Mm -hmm. The kind of cumulative effect of compound extremes and then more frequent extremes really accumulates. So is this whiplash uh, impact, Michael, going to be felt across the country or more in some regions than others? So it's felt around the world, climate change and global warming is a global effect, uh, but it's more felt more acutely in different places that are particularly either more vulnerable to it or more exposed to extremes or already experienced different types of extremes. So for example, uh, places that already get bad uh, bushfire weather, if there's a, as we are seeing more, more and more incidents of extreme bushfire weather being more likely, uh, then those effects will be exacerbated. Whereas other places experience a different set of extremes and therefore face a different set of challenges. So as you've explained, climate change is the driver of this uh, impact. What's happening in terms of temperature change in Australia? So Australia has been warming over the last 100 years at a rate a little bit higher than the global average. As we expect, land is warming a little bit faster than over ocean. The global temperature has risen by over 1.1 degrees, which may not sound much, but that's a, a change in the underlying state of the system. And Australia has warmed by around one and a half degrees uh, since the early part of the 20th century. And that means a change in the odds for more, more heat extremes, fewer cold extremes. And it's also associated then with a lot more changes to the extreme events, such as heat waves in the, on the air and also in the ocean, and then extreme bushfire conditions leading to uh, the worst kinds of bushfires has seen an increase over the last 50 years. Is there any good news out there though, Michael? Has there been any improvement in temperature rises uh, around the world? Has the rate of increase slowed at all? So temperature has been increasing everywhere at different rates uh, and it's, it is projected to continue into the future. However, I guess the biggest source of um, optimism should be in looking towards uh, the pledges and kind of negotiations towards limiting uh, future global warming to as lowest as we can. And then also looking towards becoming more resilient and adapting to the climate change that we will, further climate change that we will inevitably face. Yeah, and there has been modelling of the impact climate change uh, will have on Australia. What's expected? So Australia will face ongoing and increasing challenges from extreme events uh, and also further challenges from things such as sea level rise affecting our coasts, increased marine heat waves that can lead to coral bleaching, including on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and the, the changes just from the change in the mean climate, changing where things can grow and, and changes to our ecosystems as well. However, the biggest changes are often felt through the extreme events. So you can kind of remember back to the black summer bushfires. That's where we see some of the biggest uh, impacts from climate change, especially when we get those compound events and also then quickly uh, consecutive extreme events. Dr. Michael Gross, thank you so much. Thanks very much. From ABC Television News and the CSIRO, we shift to Carbon Brief, where we can read, Climate change could make parts of Lebanon too hot for producing olive oil. 
The story by Alicia Tandon begins. Olive trees in Lebanon, historically renowned for the high-quality olive oil they produce, are under threat from rising temperatures, new research finds. Olives were first domesticated some 7,000 years ago in the Middle East. Olive oil has since become a staple of a Mediterranean diet and today drives a 3 billion global industry. In Lebanon, olive trees on average 150 years old and occupy nearly one quarter of the country's agricultural surface. New research published in Nature Plants presents 5,400 years of pollen data collected in the Lebanese city of Tyre. It finds that olive production has been closely linked to temperature for thousands of years and reveals an optimal temperature for olive growth of 16.9 degrees Celsius. We shift now to the Sydney Morning Herald where we find a story by Nick O'Malley. And the story is headlined, Greens warn the government that a fight is looming over energy policy. O'Malley's story begins. The Greens are threatening to use their power to overturn the rules of the government's key climate policy, the so-called safeguard mechanism, unless it is overhauled to remove fossil fuel projects from the scheme. Labor wants to let coal and gas buy their way out of Australia's climate policy, and the Greens want to stop new coal and gas. Greens leader Adam Brandt is expected to send a speech to the Smart Energy Council conference on Monday. Again, we have another story from the Sydney Morning Herald, but this time it is by Mickey Perkins. The headline for the story is El Nino, Electric Vehicles and an End to Extinctions, the Big Climate and Environment Topics for 2023. The story begins. How urgently we respond to the climate and environment crises this decade will be hugely consequential for millennia to come. With this knowledge to galvanise us, here's a roundup of key issues likely to make headlines in 2023. And now we shift to The Guardian for a story that carries the headline, Everything's Gone. Eerie silence on Ended Street provides a glimpse into Australia's climate future. The story by Joe Hinchcliffe begins. Losing everything changes you, says Margaret Clustra. You have to rethink things, she says. What are the things that are truly important to you? Clustra's 79 years have afforded ample opportunity to consider that question. The retired social worker, midwife and nurse has lost almost everything on four separate occasions, a house fire and three floods. Those disasters robbed her of two pianos, photo albums and the university certificate she so proudly achieved as a mature aged woman originally denied the opportunity to complete a high school education. And now on SBS News we can find the story which has the headline Natural Disasters Can Have a Mental Health Toll. Psychologists say we shouldn't have to wait for help. The story begins, psychologists are calling for Australians hit by natural disasters to be able to seek mental health support without the need for a GP referral. While the idea has gained support from at least one healthcare provider in Western Australia, the peak doctor's body says GPs are a crucial part of the system. The Australian Association of Psychologists, the AAPI, wants to remove the need for people to get a GP referral before seeing a psychologist if they have recently experienced a natural disaster. 
In the Nature On Point News, we find the story, The Breathtaking State of Truck Air Pollution in Melbourne's Western Suburbs. The story begins. It truly is a disaster, says the Royal Melbourne Hospital physician. Those vulnerable are the very younger, the aged, the individuals with a power of coronary heart or lung illnesses and pregnant ladies. Air pollution is advanced, however its impact on people will define merely. In city areas, the air we breathe is polluted with dangerous chemical substances from trade emissions, building particles, coal-fired energy, vegetation, wildfire smoke, wooden heaters and automobile exhaust. And now we shift to the Melbourne Age, where we find a story by Mike Foley, which has the headline, Need for projects to plug looming gas supply shortage to test Australia's climate goals. His story begins. Urgent investment is needed in new gas fields to avoid looming shortages in New South Wales and Victoria, setting up a clash with the Albanese government's new climate targets. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, latest report on the East Coast gas market, released on Friday, said current sources of domestic supply were running out and shortages could hit by 2027 and potentially sooner unless new gas fields were opened up. And from the newsroom we hear, why the North and East have had such a dreadful summer. The story by Kevin Trenberth begins. I'm a climate scientist who has been around watching the climate crisis grow from one of little concern to one where enough extremes of weather have grabbed the attention of the public. It is now well established that human activities are the cause of global warming and climate change mainly through increases in carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, primarily from the emissions from burning fossil fuels. Now we shift to a story from France International. The headline for the story is India's Sinking Hilltown, a Casualty of Warming Himalayas. The story begins. On the slopes of the Himalayas, nearly 2,000 metres above sea level, the hill town of Joshimath is sinking. Experts fear it's one of the many settlements in the ecological fragile region in danger of being wiped out because of subsidence, worsened by large-scale construction and climate change. Satellite images of Joshimath in the northern state of Ukarand show that the town sank by more than 5 centimetres in just 12 days earlier this month. According to a preliminary report, by the Indian Space Research Organisation, ISRO. The images, released by the ISRO, National Remote Sensing Centre, indicate rapid subsidence of 5.5 centimetres between 27 December last year and 8th of January. And from the conversation, we have a story by Michelle Ward, who is a postdoctoral research fellow with the University of Queensland. Her story is headlined, Why Queensland is still ground zero for Australian deforestation. Her story begins. Five years ago, bulldozers with chains cleared forests and woodlands, almost triple the size of the Australian Capital Territory in a single year. Brazil? Indonesia? No, much closer. Queensland in 2018-19. Truly staggering land clearing, mostly by farmers and cattle graziers. Saw around 680,000 hectares of habitat destroyed, more than the preceding 18 years. Even though the state Labor government tightened land clearing rules in 2015, the new rules were riddled with loopholes. 
If Queensland was a country, it would have been the ninth highest forest-destroying nation globally in 2019, just above China. And finally, we have a story from The New Daily by Alan Kohler. The headline for the story is, Australia's new emissions trading scheme is a carbon tax. That's fine. His story begins, It's the machinery of capitalism that must solve climate change, not the politicians, the scientists have been meeting for 26 years and fruitlessly agreeing. That's why there are 25 emissions trading schemes, ETS, around the world, as politicians and scientists try to speak the language of market capitalism, rather than the language of survival or mortality, as Kevin Rudd once tried. And now, eight years after the last one was triumphantly defenestrated, Australia is about to have another crack at an ETS, except it's using a system devised by the Coalition to not reduce emissions. The safeguard mechanism as the basis of it. We've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. You'll find links to all those stories mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share it with your friends as we all need to be aware as we possibly can about the climate crisis. So until we talk again, please take care.